The swamp is more than merely a place. It is a churning, seething, bubbling bed of life of which you are a part. Once you were a man, a chemist named Ted Salas, until one little experiment went somewhat awry and you changed. The serum that was to have made you a super soldier combined with the strange forces in the swamp to make you over into this, a shambling, mindless mockery of your former humanity. The macabre man-thing. Hello everyone and welcome to the Nexus of All Realities, a man-thing podcast. I'm Paul Matthew Carr, your guide to the weird, the wacky, and the often wonderful of a 70s swamp-based monster comic. Today on the program, I'll be talking about Man-Thing number 5, Night of the Laughing Dead. This is going to be a very special episode. <laughs> a very special episode. Tonight on Man-Thing, a very special episode for mature audiences. Parental discretion is advised. <laughs> no, no. It's not that kind of a special episode. This is uh, special to me because uh, it's the very first issue of Man-Thing I ever bought. With my own money, no less. Uh, it's also the first Power Records adaptation I ever owned as well. That's right, there is an audio version of this issue available, and I'll probably be scattering some sound clips of that throughout, but that's not what my pre-synopsis chatter will be about. Uh, so that brings me to the format of this episode, or, or what I'm going to do here today. Typically, on an episode, I pick a topic that's somewhat relevant to the issue, and I talk a little bit about that before I get into the synopsis and my analysis and feelings on the issue itself. And since there is a Power Records version of this issue, the topic should obviously be Power Records. And that's exactly what I was planning on talking about right up until I started writing up my notes. Here's, here's the thing. As, as I started thinking about this, I found myself becoming quite nostalgic, slipping into... Memories of reading this as a kid and listening to it, of course, and and how I felt and uh, bringing up a lot, just just bringing up a lot of feelings, you know. As I get older, I think I'm turning more and more into the dude. But beside the point. So I decided instead of doing the Power Records intro, I'm just going to go with that. Instead of a topical topic, I'm going to just reminisce a bit about uh, about that time long ago. Tell you a story or two about me. Uh, my growing up, my experience buying the comic and reading it uh, in the nineteen seven in a nineteen seventies basement. Uh, I know that's a little bit different. I mean, I do talk about myself a bit to a certain extent, at least on this show, but not so much that I get boring about it. I think. I, I guess you'll have to tell me. But that's my worry. I hope I don't bore you all. <laughs> it's my greatest fear doing this, uh, doing this show. So that's why I'm going to give you some forewarning of what is to come. Basically, beware, old man talks about back in the day, coming right up. No, I, I hope it will be entertaining, and as for the Power Records talk I was planning to do, I'm just going to move that ahead to the next episode, uh, so you can look forward to that, I guess. Okay, disclaimer, out of the way. Now, I should address the elephant in the room, and that is the fact that it has been a long just such a long time since I last recorded and released an episode. There are several reasons for that. Chief among them is the fact that I suck. Yeah, I mean, there are other reasons, of course, but sucking is pretty much the primary one. So I'm going to try to fix that. Uh, it's a brand new year, and with it, a brand new attitude. I'm recording this the first week of January 1919. 1919? Really? 
uh, <laughs> guess that shows you where my head's at. You know what? I, I would typically edit that out and re-record it, but it actually feels like a hundred years since I've done this, so I'm going to leave it in. No, <laughs> of course it is 2019, and I am committed, resolute you might say, to go back to my two episodes a month, released every other Wednesday. This allows me to alternate with my, my other podcast that I do with Brian Reese called The Collected Edition. A little plug there. I like Wednesdays uh, as a release day because it allows me time to record on the weekends and then a couple of days to edit out all my silliness and ramblings, most of it anyway, and you don't care. Okay, moving on. Suffice to say, I'm looking forward to doing this again, and I have a lot of really, uh, really, in my mind, great ideas on how to spice up the program, uh, maybe add some extras in addition to Man Thing, like other Steve Gerber titles, Marvel horror comics, and bringing in some other folks for guest spots, and other sundry things. I got a lot of ideas. But that can only happen if I actually stay on target and get a bit more consistent. And by a bit more consistent, I mean, you know, actually consistent. So consider this a relaunch of sorts. And if, not if, when, when I have proven myself reliable, I will revisit these additional ideas and come up with a plan to implement them. Okay, so the story I'm going to tell is a bit long, so I'm going to take my break now, play a trailer for someone I like. Actually, it's going to be, uh, I've scheduled me. I'm going to, <laughs> that seems kind of egotistical. I'm going, to, uh, I'm going to, I really like me. Oh, geez, just, here's the trailer. Hey, Brian. What's up, Paul? Do you like comic books? I do. I love the funny books. Do you like listening to people talk about comic books? Why, yes, Paul. I find that both entertaining and informative. Well, that's great, because there's a new podcast where each episode a famous run or story arc is discussed in detail in a fun and totally not rambling way. It's called The Collected Edition. The Collected Edition? That sounds intriguing. Who are the hosts? Well, that's the best part. It's us, Paul Matthew Carr and Brian Reese. What? Fantastic! I love us. We're awesome. Where can folks find this amazing podcast, Paul? <laughs> well, I'm glad you asked. The Collected Edition can be found on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play, as well as online at CollectedEditionPodcast.com. That's great. I'm going there right now. Me too. Are we done? Yeah, I think that'll do. On the outskirts of Philadelphia, there is a suburb called Upper Darby, which the residents affectionately call Upper Dumpy, or just Upper Dump. Similarly, there is another suburb called Havertown that the people call Have No Town. And of course, there's Philadelphia itself, which is often referred to as Filthy Delphia. None of what I just said has any relevance to what I'm going to talk about today, other than the fact that there seems to be a lot of self-hate in the Philadelphia metro region. And if you've ever seen a crowd at a Philadelphia sporting event, this fact will explain a lot. Now in Upper Darby, there used to be a place called the Bazaar of All Nations, or simply the Bazaar. This was basically a giant indoor flea market, or, or maybe a combination flea market mall. Or maybe even you'd call it a proto-mall. It was weird, is what I'm saying. And it was awesome. There were tons of little shops and restaurants and kiosks that sold everything you could want or imagine. Uh, there were bakeries, furniture shops, records and eight tracks, clothing, posters, tchotchkes, and of course, funnel cake. Glorious, glorious funnel cake. 
If you've never had a funnel cake, it's basically deep-fried heaven covered in powdered sugar. God bless the Pennsylvania Dutch. So the bazaar was a unique shopping experience. It was cramped and dirty and dark, and it was like a maze of random junk and goodness. At any moment, you felt like a minotaur could turn around the corner, and instead of killing you, he'd simply try to sell you a watch. It was really an amazing place. Now, by far and away, my favorite store in the whole complex was the Magic Shop. I wish I could remember what the name of the Magic Shop was, but it was one of those places that sold both professional magic items and novelty magic kits. Top hats and plastic wands, right next to tuxedos and velvet capes. You could buy disentangling rings and scarves that continuously appear out of sleeves. And books, so many books. How-to instruction books, history of magic, biographies of famous magicians, and actual spell books. At least, I think they were actual spell books. They looked like real spell books. Yeah, they were spell books. The shop also sold other novelty items like hand buzzers and itching powder, spring snakes and fake cans of peanut brittle, and, of course, the classic of all novelty gifts, probably the greatest of all novelty gifts, fake poo and plastic vomit. In addition to this, the shop also sold occult items, things like tarot cards and Ouija boards. Seriously, I can hear you saying tarot cards and Ouija boards? That's what you consider a cult? Yeah, but... Come on, man. I was like six or seven years old, and this kind of thing was real. It was forbidden. In the 1970s, there was a real fear of devil worship. I talked about this on a previous episode, and I'm planning to go into it again in more detail in a later one as well, but it was seen as a real problem. Just look at the proliferation of of possession and devil cult movies in the 70s. Understand, this stuff doesn't come out of nowhere. The cultural zeitgeist of a time and place fuels pop culture, and in the 70s, that zeitgeist was Satan. Good times. And I was into it. I mean, you know, not like actually joining a cult or sacrificing a goat or anything like that. I wasn't a psycho child. <laughs> I just liked the imagery and the stories and the, and, the, and the forbiddenness of the whole thing. Monsters and otherworldly apparitions and magic. I mean, to me, magic was real. And I have to admit, if I'm honest, the world was a better place when it was. So in this magic shop was a little table set near a cash register covered with a scarf, the kind you'd see a gypsy wear to cover her head when gazing into a crystal ball. The shop also sold crystal balls as well. The scarf was used as a tablecloth of sorts, and on that table were scattered comic books. Not first-run books, mind you, back issues. Doctor Strange, Creepy, Eerie, Tomb of Dracula, Ghost Rider, anything horror, or magic-related. And one day, there on the table, partially obscured by another comic set on top of it, just the corner sticking out, there it was. A thing of beauty and wonder. It was a Man-Thing comic. Remember Man-Thing? This is a podcast about Man-Thing. I bought that comic, Night of the Laughing Dead, Man-Thing number five. I think I paid a marked-up price, 50 cents, I believe. Totally worth it. I had a pocket full of quarters given to me by my mother, and when she saw what her generosity had purchased, she said, her nose crinkled in disgust, Really? Oh, that's awful. Don't you want to buy something nice? I'm not sure exactly how I responded, but I'm fairly certain it was along the lines of, But look how cool this is! Luckily, I had a mother that did not discourage my macabre tendencies, but rather encouraged them. 
Or at least, didn't think I was a psycho kid destined to join a devil cult. Thanks, Mom. In due time, I would also own the Power Records adaptation of this same comic again. Thanks, Mom. But that's a story for next time. As for the comic itself, well, let's just say it was well-loved. Pages turned and turned and turned and turned. I must have read it a hundred times. I poured over the paddles, soaked them in. I carried it with me, rolled into a tube, and shoved in my back pocket. Now, there are a few of you out there who are probably appalled by that notion, but come on. I was seven. Boarding and bagging was not even on my radar. I didn't, I didn't even know that was a thing. Comics at that time were to be read, enjoyed, and traded for more. Me and the other kids on my block, we, we passed comics back and forth like a, like a bartering commodity. I'll give you an Iron Man for a Captain America, a Spider-Man for a Superman, etc., etc. And the very idea that I would keep them in pristine condition to sell them or collect them was unfathomable. Comics were to be read. Comics were to be shared. And if they fell apart, well, that sort of thing happened. But this Man-Thing comic, this particular one, was always off the trading block. It was precious to me. Well, not that extreme. I just, I just loved it. It fascinated me. It genuinely scared me. It creeped me out. I, I mean, come on, ghost clown? God, this comic was great. And this was it. This was the comic. This was the moment I fell in love with a mute muck monster from a dirty swamp in Florida. This is when I fell in love with Man-Thing. Insert joke here. So this was the comic I kept. And it was one of just a handful of others from that time that I knew I wanted to, to have and to revisit. And I kept them right up until I moved to San Francisco to go to college. At that time, they were just a, in a box in a garage, not boarded in bag, just in a box with other books and magazines. And one day, while I was 3,000 miles away, my mother donated that box to a children's hospital in Delaware County. Now, at this point, I could make some snarky comment, like, thanks, mom. You know what? I got a hell of a lot of joy and happiness from those comics. I was entertained and inspired, and I still think about them to this day. And somewhere, there was a sick kid who, at a terrible time in their young life, pulled a, a beaten-up, dog-eared copy of a Man-Thing comic from a donation box and said, This is so cool! And that's far more important to me than just owning a comic. Comics are to be shared. So what's this comic about? Man-Thing number 5, Night of the Laughing Dead. Cover dated May 1974. Written by Steve Gerber. Pencils by Mike Plug. Inked by Frank Giaramonti. Colored by Linda Lessman. Letters by Artie Simek. Edited by Roy Thomas. Deep in the swamp, Man-Thing contemplates his existence or rather, the narrator does it for him, when he is startled by a gunshot. A sad clown in full costume and makeup has killed himself, and Man-Thing, feeling the pangs of his former life, feels he must bury the body and carries the little clown deeper into the swamp. Meanwhile, Richard and Ruth are trying to book a room at a rather dingy motel, but there's no room at the inn, because a traveling carnival has taken them all. Isn't that always the way? Outside the office, Richard and Rory overhear a conversation between Mr. Garvey, the carnival owner, and Isla, the high-wire artist and girlfriend of the sad clown recently deceased. 
Isla is, correctly, worried that the clown, named Daryl, is depressed and might do harm to himself. Mr. Garvey responds to this outpouring of concern by smacking her in the face. The hell, dude? A little too far, maybe? Richard, to his credit, intervenes and chokeholds Mr. Garvey, then throws him to the ground. Mr. Garvey is then protected by Lurch from the Adams family. Actually, his name is Trag, because of course it is. Trag then puts a smackdown on Richard. This is all on one page, if you're curious. Richard, Ruth, and Isla then hightail it out of there to the swamp to look for Daryl, the deceased, depressed clown. They eventually do find the clown sitting on the banks of the swamp in a mysterious spotlight. Clown gives a bow and wanders off into the water, followed by Richard, Ruth, and Isla. Meanwhile, Mr. Garvey and Trag are in hot pursuit of the trio, with sinister purpose because, well, they're assholes. When suddenly, in the middle of the road, appears Daryl, the deceased, depressed clown, in that mysterious spotlight, doing a dance. Garvey and Trag swerve to miss him and hit a tree, causing the truck to explode. Unfortunately, this does not kill Trag, and he heads off into the swamp, pursuing the laughing clown. In a clearing, Richard, Ruth, and Isla find Man-Thing attempting to bury the dead body of Daryl, the deceased depressed clown, and they are rightfully confused. They initially think Man-Thing killed him because they're racist. No, not racist. Speciest? Monstrous. I don't know. They're idiots. But then they see the bullet wound and realize that Daryl, the depressed clown, has killed himself. As they begin to contemplate the, the existence of ghosts, Trag arrives. He lurches forward. See what I did there? He punches Richard and starts a fight with Man-Thing. Bad move. Man-Thing does not break a sweat. Mostly because he can't sweat, but also because Trag is not a worthy opponent. And then, in the middle of the Trag beatdown, a truly horrific ghost-spirit-apparition-thing rises from the dead body of Daryl the deceased press clown and speaks these creepy words. Why? I want to make you laugh. I want smiles and guffaws and grins and good cheer. And most of all, peace. What does any clown want but to make people happy? But I could not go on making others laugh when all I felt inside was pain, when the love I gave was not returned. But now, my soul is free. I shall feel mortal pain no more. And so I can laugh, laugh forever. <laughs> So, that was awesome. Now, I'll admit, and as you could probably figure out from my ramblings earlier, I love this issue. I love this story. Uh, so it's difficult for me to say anything bad about it because of all the associated feelings that are attached to it. But even so, even without all the nostalgia baggage that this issue has for me, this is a pretty great issue. Uh, I should mention that last clip I played is from the Power Records adaptation, and it's not exactly how this issue ends, uh, but it is creepy, and I like it, and I wanted to play it. The issue actually ends on a bit of a cliffhanger, because this is a two-parter, and the real ending is a bit more open-ended. It goes like this, and I'm not going to read it in the voice, sorry. So we're going to have a little show, my friends. All of you are going to be the actors. We're going to play out the story of my life and death with the swamp as our stage and my soul at the mercy of the critics. Ha 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 ha. Like that laugh, huh? Pretty good. 
And this is the start of a, of a very long run of really good, dare I say, classic issues. Uh, for the next, I'm trying to think, what, seven, eight issues coming up, Gerber goes deep into horror, ghost stories, dark fairy tales, with fantasy elements added in for good measure. He really starts to kick it into high gear here. This is This is some good stuff coming. But all that's in the future. Let's talk about this story. First of all, uh, there's a new artist, Mike Plug, and I have to admit that I do like him better on this title than Val Mayeric. I, I don't know. I mean, they're very similar, but Plug just seems to have a, um, I don't know, how do I say it? His style is smoother? That's not right. That's Maybe I'll come up with better descriptors in the next issue. Uh, but I should say that I also wish he played the organ so I could say Plug on a Moog, but maybe that's just me. Now, the story itself, I mean, man, we're getting into prime Gerber territory here. Depressed ghost clowns, that's the stuff. The villains are a little over the top, as per usual in Gerber stories. I mean, you have a hulking sidekick to a woman beater. I get it, they're, they're bad. I must admit that having Mr. Carvey blow up in a truck is an interesting way to get rid of him. Kudos to Gerber for that. Uh, and the fight between Trag and Man-Thing is, as I said in the synopsis, not a challenge. But Gerber's narration is pretty great. He emphasizes Man-Thing's unwillingness to hurt Trag. Rather, he just he's just kind of puzzled by him. He smacks Trag around like a rag doll and expects him to eventually be afraid. And, and, and when Trag isn't, Manny just sort of drowns him. Well, almost doesn't really drown him. He, he lets Trag up because, as the narrator says... The memories return once more, the visions of needless wanton slaughter, and though your instincts advise you otherwise, you allow him to live. Again, good stuff. But it's really the it's really the atmosphere that this issue evokes that is what makes it great. It is genuinely creepy, and I know I keep saying creepy, but it is. And the idea of depression and suicide, even if it's only touched upon here and it'll be expanded on in the next issue, but you know, it's 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 palatable. The symbolism of a clown as a depressed person painting on a happy face and acting the life of a happy person, performing normality while underneath unhappiness and sadness grow and fester to the point where that person feels there is no way out. It resonates. Sure, maybe the sad clown is cliched, but that doesn't mean it doesn't work. The first few panels, with Daryl sitting cross-legged by the swamp, gun in hand, it's moving. It affects you. The fact that he is a clown, and the supernatural elements only serve to emphasize and highlight that underlying meaning and the poignancy of his story. So yes, yes, I like this issue. Hard to separate my nostalgia from my detached criticism, but if I'm honest, even if I could, I wouldn't want to do it. I have great memories of reading this comic, and I still enjoy reading this comic, and that enjoyment is only enhanced by the memory of that seven-year-old boy, that seven-year-old boy who found a treasure in the heart of magic in the middle of a bazaar. This is good stuff.
Okay, thank you everyone for listening. This looks as if it might come in a little shorter than 30 minutes, but hey, it's an episode. Hooray. Uh, as I said in the opening, uh, I, I look forward to more consistency in the new year, and I'll be back next time with the conclusion of this story and to talk uh, about Power Records, which is a lot of fun. Till then, thank you all for your patience and thank you for your continued support. You've been great and wonderful, and I love you deeply. Well, except for that guy. You know who you are. So anyway, anyway uh, bye everybody, and I'll see you next time. You've been listening to The Nexus of All Realities, a Man-Thing podcast. The Nexus of All Realities is a Daddy Elf production. Man-Thing and all related titles are copyright Marvel Comics, and no infringement is intended. The show could be found on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. And if you head on over and leave a review, I'd appreciate it, and I'll be your best friend. You can contact the show via email at nexus at daddyelk.com or online at nexusofallrealities.com and leave a comment on individual episodes. You can also connect with the show on Twitter, at Nexus of All. The Nexus of All Realities is for entertainment purposes only. Are you not entertained? Are you not entertained? everyone and welcome to the nexus of all realities a man thing podcast my name is paul matthew carr and i am talking really really fast take a breath slow it down brother (laughs) because i haven't done this in a while all right